Well, today is an interesting day. We're finishing up the Old Testament today. In fact, we're going to look in just a minute at the last words of the Old Testament. Next week, I'll bring you a different message because then I go away for a while. And when I come back from all my travels, we'll start in the New Testament. But I do have another week with you before I go. And no promises, but we're going to try to do a baptism next week. So if you've recently dedicated your life to the Lord and have not yet been baptized, please contact the office this week, and we'll try to have a, a baptism set up for this coming Sunday. We'll see if we can pull it off. So then I go off to California on the 17th, off to Israel on the 25th, come back, take about a week to get over my jet lags, then I'll be with you for uh, one weekend, and then I go off on vacation. So I'm going to be gone for quite a while. Don't want, I do want to encourage you, though, to maintain your fellowship. I'd sure love to see a church when I get home. <laughs> Log in from Israel. Jose said he's going to put up an empty sanctuary on the screen on Sunday morning just to freak me out. All right, so we're going to finish up the book of Malachi today. Let's hop in. Here's what it says in chapter 3, verse 1. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Even though there's a lot of things going on in that paragraph, basically, just to break it down to its very basic elements, it says that the Messiah will come and he'll be preceded by a forerunner. Before the messenger of the covenant whom you seek or delight in, a forerunner will come. So that's pretty much what that says. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. That's chapter 3. Then we go over to chapter 4, and we hear this. And remember, these are the last words of the Old Testament. It's very significant. But before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, I will send you the prophet Elijah. He will bring fathers and children together again. Otherwise, I would have to come and destroy your country. The very last words of the Old Testament are, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So, breaking that down to its simplest, I'm going to send the forerunner before the apocalypse. So the first one wasn't named. I'm going to send some unnamed forerunner before Messiah comes. The second one says, I'm going to send Elijah before the apocalypse. Those are similar, but it's not the same thing. And there's one other verse we're not going to look at it. I'm going to tell you about it because it's going to be quoted in a moment. Isaiah has another passage about a forerunner coming, making the highway in the desert smooth in preparation for God, unnamed. So of the three passages, two of them talk about a forerunner with no name, and one mentions Elijah. So I'm going to send you Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. That's how the Old Testament closes with those few other words I read. Now, here's how the New Testament opens. Not Matthew, Mark. Listen. This is the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As the prophets wrote, Behold, I will send my messenger ahead of you to prepare the way for you. Someone is calling out in the desert. Get the road ready for the Lord. Make a straight path for him to travel. So John appeared. John appeared in the desert, baptizing and preaching. Turn away from your sins and be immersed. Be baptized, he told the people, and God will forgive you your sins. So it's very obvious that in Malachi, it ends saying, 
The forerunner will come, specifically Elijah. And then the New Testament starts saying, there's John. As if John somehow fulfills the prophecy of the forerunner. Listen to what the angel Gabriel said. Remember, John's parents were old. Father was a priest. He served in the temple. And mom was also old. And they were childless, which was a real shame in those days. People really, really wanted children. And so when dad is serving in the temple, he took some time to pray. He's right there in the holy place. And he said, God, I want a son. Now, how old is this guy at this point? 60, 70, 80? Anyway, God hears his prayer, sends him the messenger, the angel Gabriel, to tell him, your prayers have been heard, and they will be answered, and you're going to have a son. And this is what he says about the son, who becomes John the Baptist. He says, he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Mark presents John the Baptist as fulfillment of some of the prophecies I read to you. And the angel Gabriel says he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the children again, fulfilling the prophecy of Elijah. So something weird's going on here. Is John a figurative Elijah? And if so, why does Malachi not indicate that? Malachi doesn't send, behold, I will send you a figurative Elijah. He just says, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet. Take it at face value, John's not that. So what's going on? Why does the passage indicate that Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord, while the other passage says the forerunner will come before Messiah comes? Because you know the Messiah came and we have not yet seen the great and terrible day of the Lord. So there's some ambiguity, some confusion here. Four things I think we can agree on. Four facts. Number one, Malachi said Elijah would come as a forerunner. Fact number two, John the Baptist was the forerunner for Jesus. Fact number three, John the Baptist is not Elijah the prophet, literally speaking. And number four, these passages are very confusing. <laughs> I think we can all agree on these four things. And hey, we are in good company because the disciples themselves were confused. Jesus went up into the mountain, was transfigured before his disciples, comes back down because this is a view of the kingdom. So they're thinking, okay, he's the Messiah, the kingdom is coming. And this is what they then asked him. Listen, his disciples asked him, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Well, if you're the Messiah and the kingdom's coming, where's Elijah? Do we got it wrong? No, no, they knew the scripture. Something was confusing to them too. Just like when we read it, it's confusing to us. So here's what I think. Jesus, and they didn't know this at the time, has two comings, two advents. Therefore, it makes sense that he'd have two prophesied forerunners. So I don't think it's one forerunner with 
a disguise. I think it's two forerunners, one for each coming. Am I certain? No, but I think so. Remember what the angel Gabriel said? He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So John is a, a type of Elijah, but he's not Elijah. Listen to how Jesus said it, speaking of John. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. All right, before I go back to try to answer the whole John the Baptist, Elijah thing, there was probably another verse in there that caught your attention. Undoubtedly made you go, what? Let me read it to you. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. How many of you, when you heard that, went, what? Am I like the only one? Oh, good, thank you. It's like, oh, am I the only one that found that weird? How can heaven suffer violence, and how can violent people take heaven by force? Violent people are bad people. That doesn't make any sense at all. And, and why is that even thrown in there? What's that have to do with anything? It was very confusing until I checked it out. And I think I understand exactly what's going on now. First of all, when you look at various translations, several of them deal with it differently. And when that happens, that means there's uncertainty as to how to translate. You know, you pick up almost every Bible, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what it says. It doesn't say anything else, because that's what it means. But in some verses, this one translates it this way, this one translates it that way. In those verses, there's some ambiguity. It could go this way, it could go that way, or even worse yet, we're not sure. So we have to do something. This is one of those verses. But when I looked at the other translations, looked at the Greek words, saw how those Greek words were used elsewhere in the Bible, and looked at some commentaries, I came up with a translation that I think is good. And it even fits in. It makes sense. Now I know why it's there, too. So let me give you the translation from the NIV and then mine. Here's the NIV. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent the violent take it by force. Here's my translation. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and people have been aggressively pressing into it. There's nothing bad about that. The word force and aggression, they translate as violence, but violence is bad. But forcefully advancing into the kingdom of heaven, that's a good thing. That fits into John's ministry and John's character. So, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. So Jesus said two things about John. He said, if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you're willing to receive it. Now, that's a, that's a weird statement. Well, what's that mean? That's kind of fuzzy. He doesn't say he is John. Elijah is John. He doesn't say that. He says, if you're willing to receive it. So he's kind of like got a little caveat there, a little out. And then he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He only says that, and that's, that's, that's repeated a lot in the book of Revelation. 
when there's something mysterious being said or hard to receive, uh, difficult, well, if it's just straight up, he's Elijah, that's not difficult. So there's still a mystery going on here with the forerunners. And Jesus said more about John, listen. His disciples asked him, saying, why then do the scribes say Elijah must first come? He went on. Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the, then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. All right, but if you paid attention to what I said, Jesus' verbiage was very interesting. He said, and I quote, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. That's a future statement. He is coming, not he did come. He is coming, he did come. He puts both together. Two comings, two forerunners, one already fulfilled, one yet future, fits beautifully with Isaiah, Malachi chapter 3, Malachi chapter 4. We've got unnamed forerunners in two of those passages and a named forerunner. Forerunner, of course, same Messiah, so the forerunner is going to be similar, do the same things. But I think that when he comes back the second time, it's literally going to be Elijah. Am I certain? No. Yeah, they thought it was Elijah the first time around. So it could be another guy the next time around. There's a passage in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, that a lot of people think says it's Elijah. It says that in the end days, there will be these two prophets who will be preaching the gospel, and one of them will like call fire, well, breathe fire and destroy people. Elijah called fire out of heaven to destroy people. So they think that's a hint that one of those two prophets is Elijah. And in addition to that, Elijah never died. This man dies after his ministry in the book of Revelation. So the mindset is, well, everybody dies, so Elijah's got to get his turn. So he'll come back, he'll preach the gospel, he'll die, and he'll ascend up to heaven. It's a reasonable deduction, but it's by no means certain. So let me wrap it up for you. Messiah comes twice. So in my opinion, he gets two forerunners. The first is John the Baptist, who was a type of Elijah, came in the spirit and power of Elijah. The second will be Elijah himself, literally. Oh, and by the way, do you remember when the disciples asked him in confusion, why did the scribes say Elijah must come first? Do you remember that? When they asked that was when they had just come down from the Holy Mount, when he was transfigured before them. Do you remember who appeared on the Holy Mount with him? Moses and Elijah. So there's a lot of reason to think we're getting a literal Elijah on the second coming. Now I want to go back to John. Even though most people pass over this, to me it's one of the most profound statements in all of the New Testament when it comes to people and the relationship to God. Let me quote Jesus. Assuredly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus is saying, virtually, that John the Baptist is the greatest man who ever lived. Well, what about Moses? I mean, Moses gave the law, parted the Red Sea, 
led the exodus. None are greater than John. Well, what about Elijah? Called fire down from heaven, raised a man from the dead, prophesied. Moses prophesied about the future. Elijah was a prophet. John did no miracles and wrote no prophecy. What's so special about him? And yet he's the greatest man who ever was ever born. We have this idea in our minds, people, that spirituality means miraculous power. You know, if you want to really get close to God, you're going to do the works of Moses. You're going to do the works of the apostles, raise the dead. None greater than John the Baptist. Did no miracles, spoke no prophecy. That is, foretelling of the future. So what made him so great? The greatest man who ever lived. Why? How? In what way? Well, I'm going to give you three reasons I think he's the greatest man who ever lived. One I'm certain about, because the Bible says so. The other two I'm guessing at, but they're good guesses. So first my two guesses, and then the third certainty. Guess number one. Why was John great? Because he lived for God 100%. We don't, you know, for all we know, he lived in a cave in the desert. He wore clothes made out of camel hair, and he ate wild honey and locusts. He forsook all worldly comforts in his service of God. That's number two. He lived for God 100%. His entire life was wrapped in serving God. He even, number two, forsook worldly comforts. By worldly comforts, we mean decent clothes and food. He didn't want to be distracted with pursuing those things. Can you imagine wearing a garment made out of camel fur hair in the desert? Yeah, ooh. How'd you like to walk around Tucson when it's 110 degrees in a camel smock? You know that's not going to be comfy. You know, not good at all. John didn't care. All John cared about was being the forerunner, preaching the gospel, getting people into heaven. Now the third thing, the one I'm certain of that made him great, defined him as great, we go back to the angel Gabriel. Let me read to you again what I read to you earlier, what Gabriel said about him. He will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now here's the main part, verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. So let me condense what I just read for you. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Why was John the Baptist so great? Because he turned many people to God. That's what made him so great. He led people to God. He led people to Christ. He was great. In fact, he did it so well that the kingdom of heaven was under assault by people aggressively pressing into it, taking it by storm. It's like they couldn't get in there fast enough with John's preaching. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and people have been aggressively pressing into it. Oh, he was great. Look what this man did. Well, I always wanted to do some of the cool things the apostles did. You know, heal somebody, you know, raise somebody from the dead. Part in the Red Sea would be fun. I wouldn't mind doing giving that a try. Those are the things I think are great. Prophesying, telling the future in the name of the Lord. You want to be great? Lead people to Christ. 
Oh, you know, I can't open the Red Sea. I can try all day and never open the Red Sea, but I can lead somebody to Christ. You can't open the Red Sea. You can't heal. You can't tell the future, but you can lead somebody to Christ. You, too, can be great in the sight of the Lord. In the end of the book of Daniel, it talks about the future and the people who serve God. Listen to what it says, Daniel chapter 12. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. One of the greatest things we can do that lasts into eternity is leading people to Christ. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. That reminded me of something Jesus said. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So I just want to encourage you this morning to be great. Let your light shine. Point people to Jesus. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, help us to do so, to tell people about Jesus. Help us to not be embarrassed or ashamed or to be foolish in our approach, not to be so foolishly zealous that we offend people. Please give us the right words at the right time in the right way. Help us to take a stand and to bring people to salvation. Lord, may it be said of us at Book of Life Community Church that people are pressing in to the gates of heaven. Give us a little of the spirit that you gave John. For it's in Jesus' name and for his kingdom we pray. And all of God's children said, Amen. Amen.